I tell you every week about steel power tools. Love my steel power tools. And I was having a conversation with somebody uh, in the last couple of days saying that steel's been a longtime sponsor. And that person said, they were back east, said, I have a ton of steel stuff. I love their product. They make really good stuff. I'm like, yeah, they make great stuff. And uh, you can partake as well very easily by going to one of the 9,000 steel dealers around the country. It's steel, S-T-I-H-L, steeldealers.com, a company built on real power tools built for real people and dealers who deliver real service they help you get the job done and they can help in so many different ways inside and outside the home steeldealers.com love my boyer's coffee in the morning love to sneak a little cup in the afternoon i've told you i sneak a cup later in the uh, evening also decaf uh, of course Uh, but they have so many great flavors and they're locally owned and operated they care about the environment they care about the community it's always been a staple of who they are and they always have tremendous deals you just got to go to their website to find out they change on a weekly basis boyerscoffee.com that's boyerscoffee.com Coffee.com, and you're going to love all of their many products. Uh, you can have it delivered right to your house by ordering at BoyersCoffee.com, or you can go to your local grocer as well. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, we've got some MLB rules for 2021. The seven-inning doubleheaders will be back. California tiebreaker rule will be back in place. And I kind of like that. Plus your usual round of bickering between players and owners. And Drew's special guest, F.P. Santangelo on life in the big leagues, his broadcast career, advice for those wanting a broadcast career, and a wonderful story on one Tom Brady. You know, this was supposed to be a story, Drew, that was told once, but he keeps getting to the Super Bowl every year, so I keep getting calls from members of the media asking me to recant the story. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and leave a comment. That helps others find the show. This is the Drew Goodman Goodman Podcast. Hey everybody, glad you're along. As always, the aftermath of the Super Bowl. That's right. Now we're now we're counting down the days to pitchers and catchers. And as uh, this particular podcast comes out, we are literally, I want to say hours away, because if you listen to this a little bit later on in the week, uh, pitchers and catchers will almost have reported mid next week. Uh, and uh, everyone around baseball will be getting ready and position players usually a few days after that and then we'll have spring training games and and hopefully uh no interruptions from covid as we move rapidly toward april 1st when the season will begin and it will happen in its entirety we'll have a little bit more on baseball in a little bit fp santangelo is going to join me as my special guest in this podcast and if you're unfamiliar in the rocky mountain region with fp santangelo he had a real solid uh Big league career, about a half dozen years, played for several teams, came up in the Expos organization. In fact, his uh, first full year in the big leagues, he was fourth in the National League in the Rookie of the Year voting. And he, he got out of the game uh, as a player, and you'll hear what he did after that. But uh, currently, he is the outstanding television analyst on the Washington Nationals. Of course, they captured a world championship uh, a couple of years ago. He's fun. He's entertaining. 
entertaining. He tells great stories. And he's one of my good buddies uh, in the broadcast booth around the game. And we talk frequently during the offseason. And I thought he'd be a, a terrific guest, uh, not only to talk baseball, but he has a wonderful story, memorable story on one Tom Brady, who's kind of in the news these days, which takes us to our What's Hot subject, brought to you each week by Boyer's Coffee. What's hot? Tom Brady's hot again. I know, ladies, everybody thinks Tom Brady's hot anyhow. Well, Tom Brady just won his seventh Super Bowl, and it's ridiculous. I mean, he's 43, and the thing that that I always marvel at, you usually see with older athletes some sort of decline in performance. Michael Jordan's the greatest basketball player I've ever seen. Got to cover him when I was doing the Nuggets for 10 years, and it was uh, in the midst of his prime. And I remember later on when he was no longer in his prime and he was playing for the Washington Wizards, little bit heavier, still could score, still, you know, a well above average player in the NBA, but he wasn't Michael Jordan anymore. But that was okay. I've, I've often said, you finish your career when you want to on your terms, not because it follows some Hollywood script or what some journalists think would be the appropriate way to go out, go out on top. You know, you love to play as Michael Jordan did, and you fully realize that you are not the same player that you once were, but you still love the game. You still love to compete. Well, play on, man. I've always said that. Who are we to tell a great athlete when it's time to stop? Well, in the case of Tom Brady, I mean, he has been on record many times as saying, I want to play well into my 40s. And if you look at what you witnessed in this playoff run, not just on Super Bowl Sunday when they dismantled the Kansas City Chiefs, but you look at that that run up until Super Bowl Sunday, he was marvelous. He throws the entire route tree, not only as accurately as he ever has, but with the same velocity, touch when necessary. He has not lost his proverbial fastball. When you compare him to another 40-plus quarterback who is also destined for Canton in Drew Brees. I love Drew Brees, but Drew Brees lost his fastball. In fact, he's he's lost several feet off his fastball, not Tom Brady. And of course, the work ethic and the drive remains the same. I mean, look how he got after. And I know after the, the game, he, he did apologize to when he got into it with the honey badger and he did apologize after the game. But I mean, you saw a guy that is, you know, in a rage on the field almost, which you don't normally associate with a quarterback, but that's how driven this guy is. And I don't think it'll be any different next year when he's in pursuit of his eighth Super Bowl trophy. So the guy who's hot is the guy who's always been hot. And that is Tom Brady. And of course the question arrives in so many talk shows and podcasts and sports center uh, has kicked around. You know, who's the greatest team athlete of all time? Does this make Brady the greatest athlete of all time? And I know that's a, you know, a fun topic to throw around. I will give you this. The most important position in all of professional team sports is quarterback. So much is on the quarterback. In other sports, you, you come out of the game. Obviously, when Tampa's on defense. Tom Brady's not out there playing strong safety. But when they're on offense, he's out there for every snap. 
you know, even LeBron James during his height is going to play, you know, 35, 36, 40 minutes in a tight basketball game, right? It's going to be 8, 10, 12 minutes that he's not participating. That's not how it works in football. The great one in hockey, Wayne Gretzky, put up such absurd numbers, nobody's even close to what he did. But, you know, he's taking, you know, for every shift he's on the ice, he's going to watch his teammates take two or three shifts, second, third, maybe fourth line most nights, depending on uh, the complexion of the game and where you are in the game. Close game, late third period. They're going to shorten shifts up. And, you know, Gretzky and the Messier line, they'll be out there. You know, we're out there uh, more frequently. But there's such onus on the quarterback in the NFL. And Tom Brady, whether he's with New England and often devoid of high draft picks to throw to, this guy found success and ultimate success. And now with Tampa, a team that won seven games last year, He's the most notable change. They did draft pretty well the last couple of years. I know they went and got Gronkowski, who who was, you know, solid if unspectacular for a good portion of the regular season, had a great Super Bowl Sunday, naturally getting in the end zone twice. But the common denominator is always Brady. He did take a seven-win team and made them Super Bowl champions in a walk against the defending Super Bowl champions, Patrick Mahomes and Kansas City. Also, one other note about Tom Brady. People love to dislike Brady. <laughs> he's the guy that, you know, he has it all. He's the he's a better athlete than than you are. He's got, you know, the prettier wife in this case or girlfriend or whatever you want to say. I know that's not, you know, popular uh to say that. But you know, he he's just better, right? He he's got it all. Handsome dude and he's got more money than everybody, all those things. I don't dislike Tom Brady. I love greatness, man. I love, you've heard me say this before. I love when there's a great team to shoot for. Right now inside the Rockies division, we know there's a great team to shoot for. The best team in baseball resides in the National League West and uh, in the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Yankees for years have set the bar. I think that's a good thing in sport. So for Tom Brady, just like LeBron James in the NBA, to be a cut above, I admire that. It makes it more meaningful when you're able to beat him. And out here in the Rocky Mountain region, the Broncos in the postseason have done a great job against Tom Brady. The other team that I followed growing up and continue to follow, the New York Giants, They've done a great job in the postseason against Tom Brady. They beat him in the in the 07 Super Bowl and the in the uh, Super Bowl after the 2011 season. In fact, uh, probably the the worst defeat of Tom Brady's career, the most painful one, was denying he and the Patriots of perfection after that 2007 season. So jealousy, dislike for Tom Brady, I ain't got any of that. I have, uh, you know, mad respect, and I think he's he's great for the game. He's great for sport. And, and you know, how he seemingly conducts himself, you know, I, I admire that. Time now for Drew's question of the week. Julian Castlerock asks... Major League Baseball deadening the baseball. Julie, it's an interesting question because Major League Baseball came out this week and, of course, they bought Rawlings, uh, the makers of the baseball, and they said, yeah, the the baseball is going to be deadened a little bit um, and, and so the ball won't travel quite as far, less bouncy. And that got my antenna up and I thought about 
people were all up in arms during the PED crisis in baseball and, and the players that uh, were knowingly involved, allegedly involved, and it's still preventing several big, big names, i.e. Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, you know the group, from entering the Hall of Fame. And statistically, those guys are, as I like to say, slam the gavel down, Hall of Famers. Well, should we not be a little curious that we can mess with the baseball and yet all of the hallowed records, you know, are unaffected by changing the ball dynamics slightly even? My my issue is not with home runs. So when you talk about deadening the baseball, I don't say, oh, good, you know, less home runs potentially, and that's going to make the game better. For me, the game will be better when the ball is in play more. I love home runs. I got no problem. I, I enjoy as a broadcaster, you know, calling Charlie Blackman hitting one in the second deck or Trevor Story hitting one up on the concourse. I love that. Rockies fans love that. Whatever town you're in, whatever team you follow, home runs are fun. Three-run home runs even better. The rare grand slam better than that, right? That's not what bothers me about the game. As this great game evolves, we need to go back and get back to embracing the player that doesn't strike out, that gets the ball in play so there's more action in the game. And it's not just the true the three true outcomes, home run, walk, or strikeout, which has risen every year for, you know, twenty straight years. We need to get the ball in play more. So deadening the baseball so you know a ball dies on the warning track as opposed to goes over the wall, that doesn't make it more exciting for me. I want to see the game taught almost differently and appreciated almost differently with guys that can get it in play and the strikeouts are cut down precipitously. I got no issue with home runs. I just want to see more action. So that's my take, Julie, always long-winded, but that's my take on the news this week that the ball is going to be deadened somewhat. We'll revisit this, I'm sure, at some point during the season to see statistically where we are, how much uh, it has dropped in terms of uh, home run frequency in the game. And uh, what, what that means also for the Rockies, I mean, the Rockies last couple of years have been a subpar offensive team, and now they lost uh, Nolan. Um, so you're going to need some guys. I said this last week. When we talk about guys getting opportunities, the Hilliards and the Hampsons and the Brendan Rodgers of the world, the Ryan McMahon, who's, you know, who's been up and, and been an everyday big leaguer the last couple of years, they have to cut down on the strikeouts. Those guys can all hit it over the wall, but they have to get the ball and play more, which will make them individually better. Better. It'll make the Rockies collectively better, and it will. It'll also make you know for a more entertaining product. Nobody wants to see a bunch of left turns every every night. All right, I'm off that uh, particular soapbox. Thanks again for the question. Baseball also announced, and we know unfortunately the the owners and the players association continue to to squabble, and they need to find common ground. They couldn't uh, agree on what I thought was a very fair proposal by the owners to to have the uh, 
players play 154 games, start a month late, and still get paid for 162 games. There would be expanded playoffs, which I'm a proponent of. There would be the universal DH, which I am now a proponent of. Um, I, I didn't used to be. Um, unfortunately, they couldn't come to an agreement there. They have come to an agreement on several health protocols. So what we learned this week is that the seven-inning doubleheaders will be back. I think that's a, a, a good thing. And there will be a runner on second. The California tiebreaker rules we saw last year during the shortened season will be back in place. And I kind of like that. I mean, yeah, it's always fun to retell stories when we're looking for a slice of pizza at 1.30 in the morning in a 22-inning game in San Diego a, a few years back. But the reality is, unless you're absolutely losing your marbles, you're going to go to bed at some point. And yeah, we can recount those games fondly and and wistfully, but they're, they're not great theater. I like the strategy of having that runner at second base to begin that 10th that inning. I think it puts a, a, a lot of pressure on uh, the respective dugouts. Are you going to play for more than one run um, and, and how you do it and, and how you strategize who that runner is? So I like that. And that will return for... 2021. There's still the possibility because uh, as we tape this podcast, we're still oh, a good seven weeks from opening day. And could both sides find agreement to have expanded playoffs? Potentially. Could they bring in the universal D8 still? Potentially. Um, but we do know this much. There will be seven inning double headers this year. Um, there will be 26 man rosters in September. It won't be the 40 man roster. It'll be a 28 man roster. There will be taxi squads because of COVID that will travel with teams on the road. Taxi squads of five, which have to include at least one catcher. And um, we'll, we'll see where this goes. And this also will be an ongoing conversation here on this podcast as we march through the 2021 season. And um, hopefully both sides can find common ground and we do not see some sort of work stoppage when the CBA expires in early December of this year. All right, that takes us to our weekly guest. And this guy, as I told you, is a good buddy of mine. He's so entertaining. He does a great job analyzing the game and, and keeping things loose uh, for Nationals fans back east. He has a great Tom Brady story and several other stories as well that uh, I think you're going to find most entertaining. F.P. Santangelo is our Ideal Home Loans Interview of the Week. All right, FP, listen, I think I've reached my statute of limitations on Montreal Expos or former Expo players because I had to have my partner on last week. I didn't have to. I, lo- I love Jeff Houston, as I know you do. But um, I had Walker on a little bit last summer when he got inducted uh, to the Hall of Fame. So we're, we're going all Expos again, two weeks in a row. Well, you know, we were the minor leagues for the major leagues, basically, and you know, everybody started their career in Montreal, so it doesn't shock me that you found your way to find a bunch of Expos. Huey and Walker are the best, man. I I did some spring trains with those guys, and Larry and I became friends, and obviously Huey's a great guy, and I've known him through you and broadcasting even more. So it doesn't shock me. Great people, Montreal, lots of ties. We're everywhere, man. We're like cockroaches. Yeah, you have an interesting story, and, and I want to recount it. And, and one of the cool things, let me start here. One of the cool things about doing what we do is, number one, doing what we do. We, we get the best seat in the house, and we have a, the great privilege of, 
of being able to talk about baseball and, and so many good people welcome us into their homes uh, each evening. Um, you know, you were a former player, which, you know, which is normal for somebody who sits in the seat you do, but your path to where you are a little bit different. Take us back and take people through that who are maybe not as familiar as, as folks are in Washington. Uh, well, FP stands for former player, first of all. I just wanted everybody out there <laughs> to know that. But my path to the big leagues, is that what you want me to re- recount here? Well, no, you know, just you had a nice big league career, and then and then you get out of, you know, like everybody, they take your spikes away at some point in time, and, and how you ended up in broadcasting. Well, um, I coached. Uh, for the Giants for a number of years in the minor leagues, about two or three years when I retired. And, you know, when you retire as a baseball player, it's either I made enough money to go away forever and, and, and live on an island or, you know, you coach or you get into broadcasting. Um, and I never made enough money as a player, so I decided I wanted to be a major league manager, and that's what Felipe Alou and Dusty Baker had told me numerous times. You'd make a great big league skipper, and I said, yeah, I want to manage in the big league. So uh, I called Brian Sapien with the Giants, and I started – coaching um, as the hitting coach in San Jose. That's how I met Spilly when he was coming through in Visalia, uh, and that's how we became kind of close, as I was a coach and he was a player in A-ball. Um, and, and, you know, th- that was going well, but, Drew, I was making $30,000 a year as a minor league coach, um, and it wasn't paying the bills. And at that time I was married with two kids, and, um, you know, $30,000 a year wasn't cutting it. Uh, I was on the major league insurance. That was the only perk that I got to keep, but I just couldn't do it anymore. I, I, I and, and, and the first time around, I spent seven years in the minors as a player. So I rode my share of buses and stayed at my share of bad hotels and motels. And it just, it wasn't for me. Um, and I decided, Hey, I got to make a change. So I called Dwayne Kuyper, um, who was the coolest announcer I ever had as a player. And we had stayed close through the years after baseball. Um, and I said, Hey, I was a broadcast journalism major in college. Uh, I want to do the broadcasting thing. That was the plan. If baseball didn't work, I wanted to be a broadcaster. And he said, well, have you been doing anything? And at that time, the Giants had let me go as a hitting coach because obviously I wasn't good at it. (laughs) And they let me go, and I I had to find another career. So um, I I was scrambling, and and Kite told me to call KNBR, which is the flagship station of the San Francisco Giants. Um, and he said, Bob Agnew is, is the program director there. You need to call him. Yeah, have you done anything? I said, as a matter of fact, I've been filling in a small Sacramento station, and I like it. So uh, Bob Agnew said, do you uh, call Bob Agnew, KMBR, the head guy, per Kipe's, uh advice? And he said, uh, do you have any tapes of yourself? And I said, well, I've been filling in here and there. He goes, send them to me, and I'll take a look at them. Well, I said, how about this? I live two hours from you. I'll drive down today, and you can hear him. And he goes, I go, are you busy? And he goes, okay, there's a huge California winter storm, and, you know, they were telling people to stay off the roads. It was real nasty, and I said, I'll drive down today. So I drove down that day. I put the tapes uh, on his desk, um, and he said, well, Rick Barry's doing a show right now. Do you want to go on with Rick Barry? I want to see how you sound for a segment. I'm like, okay. So I walked in the studio, met Rick Barry, who had a, a, a show on KNBR, Sports Talk Radio, and I did a segment with him. Came back, sat down. He goes, that was really good. He goes, I'm going to give you your own show on Thursday. He goes, you got three hours by yourself. with sink or swim. That's how I do it. I said, you're giving me a show by myself for three hours in sports talk? I Drew, I never listened to sports talk radio as a player because we don't listen to that stuff. We don't want to hear what these guys have to say. I never right. listened to it after I was retired. 
I had no idea what sports talk radio was. I just knew it was the devil as a player. Like, these guys rip you all day. And that was my my idea of sports talk radio. So uh, I didn't sleep the night before. I'm going on a, a huge station in San Francisco by myself. Um, and, and that was that was my start into broadcasting. And apparently I did well enough, and, and they started having me fill in at KMBR. I got my own show in Sacramento after that where I did mornings for three years, uh, sports talk radio from 5 to 9 a.m., um, and as a single guy at that time, I probably wasn't very sober for the first hour of my morning show every night, every day, because <laughs> I went out and I was dating. And then I was, as Bob Agnew tells the story, he said I was the most hungry guy he had ever met in broadcasting because I got in a car, drove through a terrible storm to be at his desk and said, I want to do this. And I think, like, my advice to young people that get in the business, I have, I hear people all the time, they're like, yeah. I think that would be cool. Or, yeah, I kind of want to get into broadcasting. I'm like, you kind of want to get into broadcasting? You have to want to do this more than anything else in your life. And that's what Bob Agnew saw in me. He saw a guy that was hungry, that wanted to do it. And, of course, Kipe and Crook, um, the broadcasters for the Giants, for those that don't know, um, they have all kinds of ex-athletes come through all the time. And they kind of want to see, like, do you want to do this? Are you into this? Are you just like this is something to do for your post-career? And once they saw that I was super dedicated to this um, and I started doing Giants pregame and postgame from the radio shows, um, they took me under their wing and showed me how it's done. And, and they're my mentors in this. They're, they're everything to me and, and why I got started in broadcasting. And, you know, I owe them everything. And then I did the pregame for the Giants um, for, for six or seven years. Um, after I and I was doing the get this, I was doing the morning radio show from five to nine a.m. I would go home, take a nap, put my suit on, drive two hours to San Francisco, do the pre and the post game, and then drive two hours home and get up with like three hours sleep and do the morning radio show again. Um, so I did that for a number of years, filled in for Mike Kruko when he took days off. Knew I wanted to be a color analyst. As Giants won the World Series in two thousand ten, and the and the Nats called. There was an opening. And I interviewed for it and got the job. And now I'm here in D.C. for my 11th year coming up in 2021. It's a great story. and You're absolutely right. I mean, just like the hunger you had, uh, you know, as a 20th round pick to to have a a really nice big league career, you have to have, you know, the drive and the motivation and and you can't sort of want to do it, as you phrased uh, a while back. It's a great story. And I love hearing that because everybody in our business, FP, has you know, has a unique story, and, and Kipe and Kruk are great, and and one of the cool things about what we all do is we, you know, most of us compare notes, you know, each day, you know, if we're if we're in D.C. for three or four ball games, you know, we'll, I'll, I'll go over and see you and Bob Carpenter, and whether it's Spilly or Huey, and, and we exchange stories, and, and, and it's really helpful um, for each broadcast, I'm sure, to get a little bit uh, closer view of what the other team's doing, but in in that space, you know, relationships, um, you know, are uh, are are cultivated, and it's one of the you know I, I love hanging out with you, and and we've been able to go out a couple times and have some beers, and uh, that that's also the great thing about uh, about being a baseball broadcaster, I think. Well, it's, it's it's a great thing about baseball, period, Drew, and you know, with the death of Pedro Gomez the last couple of days, I've really started to reflect, and and the thing I missed. Um, the most in 2020 is is those relationships and baseball is about relationships. It's the relationships you build with your, your teammates 
It's the relationship you build with your coaching staff. It's the relationships you build with um, some fans along the way, uh, front office along the way. And then as you, you know, my second career as a broadcaster, the relationships I've built with you and the other broadcasters on other teams and how we become so friendly and we text and we chat and we talk throughout the off season and are you ready and let's go. And, and, and you know, I, Drew, I, I take this job very seriously. Like I have a lot of fun on the air. I screw around. I analyze when it's a close game. But, but the way I was brought up with Kuyper and Crook is it's an honor to be a major league broadcaster. We're a part of a small, small fraternity, and it's our job to relay the message to the fans every summer. We're the voice um, of their of their seasons, of their summers, and and it's, it, 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 I take it super seriously that this is my job and this is what I do for a living, and I'm blessed to do it. But getting back to the point, relationships and the relationships I've built, I miss that man. The relationships I built with Pedro Gomez and all the beat writers throughout the years, and now all the broadcasters, and, and we're on the field every day. And we, you're the same way. We love our jobs so much. We take it seriously. We're passionate about it. But but I hope in 2021 we get back to rekindling those relationships and to build new relationships because I miss the contact um, and the interaction with people on a daily basis. It's the favorite. It's my favorite part of my job. Yeah, that is so well put. Um, uh, and and very quickly, um, I tweeted some things out. As Pedro Gomez, you know, it's always sad when someone passes, especially so young. Pedro was was fifty eight. Pedro Gomez, truly, when you read all of the nice and kind words that have been written about him, um, yourself included. Um, you know, it was always about how friendly he was, how warm he was. He, that that is not an embellishment because we've lost him. He truly, uh, it, it was one of the nicest people in in baseball that I ever met, and 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 that again is not um, you know hyperbole. And uh, you know, I know I speak for you and everybody else, but uh, to rest easy. Uh, Pedro, I want to transition you back to your playing days for one moment, FP, because we're we're in the aftermath of the Super Bowl. Tom Brady's won again, another Northern California native like yourself, uh, seven Super Bowl championships and counting. God knows how many he'll end up having. But you met this kid when he was 18, and I will let you take it from there. Well, he was a draft pick of the Expos for, for everyone out there that doesn't know. Um, and, and Gary Hughes, who was um, the head of all that with the Expos, drafted him. Well, John Hughes was the scout that recommended to Gary um, that he should draft him. No relationship. John was my uh, pitching coach at Cal Berkeley my freshman year in college when I went to Cal. Um, so we stayed close throughout the years. And he said, AFP, I, I, we're playing the Giants. It's my rookie year with the Expos. We're in town. He says, hey, we got this kid. He might play football at Michigan. Uh, he's a catcher. We drafted him in the whatever round, but we're not going to give him that kind of money. We're going to throw some big money at him, for the Expos at least, and we're trying to get him to sign with us. Um, so what I want to do is, if it's okay, I want you to be a chaperone today during batting practice before your game with the Giants um, and have him just kind of shadow you, follow him around. And he goes, and the idea is for you guys, for him to be in a big league clubhouse uh, on the big league field, and you guys convince him to sign. I said, yeah, man, whatever. I really didn't want to do it because I was a rookie. I need to get ready for a major league game. And Drew, as you know, when you when you go to play in your hometown, which San Francisco basically is, you're leaving tickets. 
it's kind of crazy. The, the family's there, your sixth grade biology teacher, whatever. Everybody's in the stands. So now I got to chaperone this 18 year old kid all day. So he gets there. He's in my hitting group. Tall, skinny kid. Um, left handed. He gets in our group. He's taking way too much time in batting practice. He's digging in. He's just, you know, on the road, you only have so much time to hit. So the veterans are going, come on, let's go, swing the bat. They're just screaming at him. He's probably really nervous. Um, He he takes batting practice, and he's got a pretty good swing, if I remember right. He gets in the clubhouse, and then he finally tells me that he's, you know, he's going to be quarterback at University of Michigan. And then my ears pop up because my mom went to University of Michigan, my dad um, is a football coach at the time. He's retired now, high school football coach in the Sacramento area for 30 years. And we grew up maize and blue watching Bo Schembechler every Saturday. The, the family would get in front of the TV, and I was raised on the, the big house in Michigan football. So when he said that, all bets were off. And, and I started introducing him to all my teammates, Pedro Martinez, Mike Lansing, David Segui, whoever, Felipe Alou, Felipe Alou, my manager, this is the quarterback at the University of Michigan, or he's going to be quarterback at University of Michigan. Um, so we sat down and we like held court in the clubhouse, and we're like, "Dude, you're going to Michigan? Like, oh my gosh!" He goes, "Yeah, I'll probably be like fifth or sixth string, blah blah blah. I don't know if I'm going to play much there." And, and then he started asking questions about the minor leagues. And at that time, Drew, and, and, and you know, there was rumors that the Expos were going to move to Northern Virginia, and there was a lot of disgruntled guys. Like the Expos were known for being cheap. Uh, to be perfectly honest. And so there was guys like Mike Lansing walk around the locker room like, don't sign with us. We suck. It's the cheapest organization in baseball. That, hey, that, that sounds like laser. Yeah, just like yelling stuff like, what do you – so then we were asking about football. He was asking us about baseball. And I, I, I told him, I said, dude, you want to make $800 a month in A-ball playing in front of nobody? Or do you want to play in front of 100,000 people – at the University of Michigan and be the quarterback. I said, you're good looking. You're going to have fun off the field too. Like, why would you even think? I mean, this is a no brainer for me. You got to go play football at Michigan. And as John Hughes tells the story, he was in the clubhouse. He overheard the conversation and he knew right there he made a huge mistake by putting Tom Brady with me that day. Did I have anything to do with Tom Brady not playing baseball? No. But um, as, you know, this was supposed to be a story, Drew, that was told once. You know, but he keeps getting to the Super Bowl every year. So I keep getting calls from members of the media asking me to recant the story. And, you know, as the legend goes, it just keeps getting better and better and better. And I keep telling it, I've never met Tom. Um, There was supposed to be something where we kind of, well, I have met Tom, but not like Tom, the the Super Bowl champion, Tom Brady. TB12. You met Tom. You haven't met TB12. Yeah, the seven-time Super Bowl champion, and I was rooting for him on Sunday. I've been a fan of his since college. I couldn't believe he got drafted so late. He was one of the best quarterbacks we had ever seen at Michigan, and that's not saying a ton. Brian Greasy was another good one that comes to mind. People in Denver will know him very well. But um, it's just, you know, I followed his career. I've rooted for him, and people love to hate a winner. I love to love a winner. I think it's awesome what he's accomplished. He's still doing it. You could tell by about week 10 that Tampa Bay was clicking and they were starting to play Tom Brady-type football with the dink and dunk and the the, the patient kind of style, and they all kind of bought in. And I, I, I mean, I tweeted it in December that I think he's going to win another one, and here, here we are, his seventh Super Bowl championship. 
And it was just a – and the, the caveat to that story, Drew, is I didn't know it was Tom Brady until, I don't know, his fourth Super Bowl when John Hughes called me and said, hey, the Boston Globe is going to call you today. And I go, that kid was Tom Brady that day? Because, <laughs> you know, it's not often that you chaperone an 18-year-old kid on the field taking batting practice. I'm like, no, shit, that was Tom Brady that day. So, yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, it was a really cool story. Yeah, had you grown up in Columbus, Ohio, he would have ended up playing baseball, and we would never even have this whole story, man. You would have, you would have given the hard sell. <laughs> so screw that. Don't go to Michigan. They suck. Yeah, be a Buckeye and beat them every year. God, right? they haven't beat Ohio State in years. Oh, my gosh. I, you know, I've heard you tell that story. Uh, I, I love that story, and um, it, 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 it truly is – a, a classic and you can uh, even even as you said you know he's trying to get a foothold in the uh you know toehold in the in the batter's box he's taking way too long in bp and uh that's um that's interesting now he can do it anything he wants man he is he has truly got it all you ever played with anybody in your career that had that focus that relentless uh pursuit of of excellence and and you know nobody's reached tom brady heights maybe shy of, of of michael jordan but was there a baseball player who you said man this dude is absolutely relentless not to mention talented played with with or against with or against i think ken caminiti comes to mind about playing against i mean that guy wanted to win he wanted to be great and obviously we all know he did whatever it took but um he 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 was my guy. Like I I I emulated him as 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 a guy on the other side of the dugout. I loved the way he approached the game every day. He played every single game like it was the last game he would ever play in his life. And he could go 0 for four and beat you at third base. And I know you've seen that a lot um, from your vantage point over the years that he could beat you with his glove at third base and not get a hit in the game. Um, a lot like the guy used to have. So um, he just had that. That fire, that passion, that desire, and, and maybe a lot like the guy you used to have at third base in, in that regard, that he just wanted to win more than anything. Um, and and he, he was my favorite player, period, and still is to this day. Yeah, that, that sting still uh, for, for me and for a lot of Rockies fans, naturally, that former player. We're still kind of getting our arms around that. Um, so we'll, we'll, let, we'll let that one slide. We'll have more with F.P. Santangelo, but first this from Ideal Home Loans. If you're refinancing, I tell you every week on this podcast, you need to call 303-867-7000. That's Ideal Home Loans, 303-867-7000. If you are in the process of purchasing a new house, Call 303-867-7000, and Brent Ivinson and his team are going to take wonderful care of you. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Uh, they're now in their 20th year of not only operation, but it's a great success story. They've expanded to the uh, Arizona market as well because they're just terrific at what they do. They're good people, and uh, so many people are also repeat customers like myself. It's Ideal Home Loans, 303-867-7000. Now more with former big leaguer and current Washington national television analyst, F.P. Santangelo. Hey, hey, listen, I know how much fun you like to have in, in life, and, and I'm sure it was the same when you were in the clubhouse, as focused as you were and as competitive as you were um, to get ready to play each day. Um, but we all know that there's a lot of idle time in baseball, and there's a lot of characters in baseball. Do you have a story or two of a great prank or a great clubhouse story 
that comes to mind? You know, it's funny you say that, and maybe it's because you're the Rockies broadcaster, and this is the one that pops to mind, is is we were in Colorado when I was with the Giants, Um, and and it was a stretch early in the season, and I was a new guy. It was, you know, I came over from the Expos to the Giants, and um, Barry Bonds, you know, had kind of, Asked, you know, kind of gravitated toward me from day one. And the first thing was like, why did you sign with us? He goes, you used to kill us. Now all those hits, you ain't going to have those hits anymore. Like, I was like, come on, dude. Like, I, I want to win. And you guys have a good team. So we're not winning at this time. Um, we're in Colorado. Um, and we're in the clubhouse. And Barry was the man. And he was in charge of the music. So he would put his back then, his CD in. And, and, and his music wasn't doing it for us. And guys were kind of griping and, and I didn't care if you were a player, whether you were Barry Bonds or the clubby. I treated everybody the same. It didn't matter if you had, you know, MVPs or you were the, the high school kid polishing my shoes. I treated everybody the same. Um, so we weren't winning. Barry Bonds is playing this music. And I go, hey, B, turn that crap off. It's not working. You play it every day, and we've lost, like, five in a row. Like, let me run the music today. Let me get everybody fired up for the game. And he goes, dude. When you win three MVPs, you can put on whatever you want across the clubhouse as loud as you can. He goes, and I said, dude, I have won three MVPs. I was MVP of my high school team. I was MVP of my college team. And I was MVP of my AAA team. And I said that as loud as I could right back at him. The whole team went nuts. He started laughing. He let me put ACDC in the thing. We won that night. And from that day on, Barry Bonds and I were best friends. He loved me. He loved the fact that I stood up to him because a lot of guys were scared of him. They used to tiptoe around him, and I didn't. I didn't give a – you know, I'd call him out in the shower like, oh, sporting news player of the year can't go first to third on that ball in the fourth inning, and I'd scream at the like in the locker room in front of everybody, and they all start laughing. So I would razz him, and he loved it because I don't think too many people did that with him. So from that day in Colorado in the, in the visiting clubhouse, from that day on, we were really tight, and we're still tight to this to this point. You know what? It, it's interesting that you say that because I've, first of all, Barry Bonds is by far the greatest hitter I've ever seen. When I talk to guys that either played with him or or fellow big leaguers like yourself and, or coaches, and you say, "Hey, who's the best hitter you've ever seen?" Everybody, no, nobody equivocates. Nobody, you know, looks up in the sky and says, "Let me think about this." Everybody says Barry Bonds, and of course, Barry as you stated and would know better than anybody, had this reputation, kind of, you know, gruff, exterior, not easy to get along with. But I always, I got along with Barry because he's like a dog in that, you know how dogs can sense fear? If you kind of, you know, go up to him, but you're like fearful that, oh, you know, he may bite my head off, he's going to do that more often than not. But if you, you know, stride up with some confidence and so forth, he he's going to respect that, and it's what you did. And and fortunately, I I had a good relationship with him because you know you just you go up to him and 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 don't have fear of him. I mean, he puts his pants on like everybody else. Yeah, he's a much better baseball player than everybody else. But um, it's interesting that that you did that, and it, and just my encounters with him through the years. When you retell that story or retold that story. To me, it was like, yeah, he's going to respect that more than the guy that kisses his ass. Well, I mean, it's not PC to say he's the greatest player ever, but he's the greatest player ever. I mean, I, I, I mean that's the only way I can put it. I probably wouldn't say it on a broadcast because, you know, a lot of fans come after you based on, you know, all the, the things off the field with Barry. But, you know, Drew, he, he's the smartest baseball person I've ever been around in my life easily. 
And I was struggling early in the season um, in San Francisco, and he came over to my locker one day and he says, hey, dude, when you're ready to hit, let me know. When you're ready to learn how to hit, let me know. And I said, I'm ready. And he goes, okay, come on. And he grabbed a bucket of balls, and he said, let's go in the cage. And it was just me and Barry Bonds in the cage for an hour. And he just he was throwing me toss. And after I got over the fact that Barry Bonds is throwing me soft toss, and I started listening to what he said and absorbing his knowledge of hitting, I've said this publicly, he's the best hitting coach I ever had. I, he locked me in in an hour session in the cage. You know, I'm the 24th, 25th man on the roster, and he took time out of his day to go give me a lesson, basically, in the cage, and I got locked in. I went from, like, 150 to 300 in, like, three weeks. I started barreling up baseballs left and right. Um, it, it just his, his way of describing hitting just clicked with me. Gene Kleins was our hitting coach, and he was fabulous. But sometimes a message from your peers, uh, especially a, a future, well, I think a future Hall of Famer, he should be in the Hall of Fame, guy like Barry Bonds telling you that. It just clicked, and, you know, I owe him a lot, man. And we're still close to this day. He's always been great to my kids. Um, he's got, he gets a bad rap, but I judge people by how they treat me, and he treated me amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I know that one drill he used to do where he would turn with his backhand, with his top hand, if you will, in the baseball vernacular, when you when you throw in the baseball, and he would catch the baseball, um, basically trying to emulate what it's like taking the top hand and, and, and delivering the barrel to the baseball. I'm sure you've done that drill quite a bit. Yeah, with him that day. And, he, and the first thing he started was like, if we're boxing, how are you going to punch me? And I did this, and he goes, exactly. He goes, but the way you're hitting, your weight's all on your back leg, and if you punch me with your weight on your back leg, he goes, and you're swinging, where's that ball going to go? Nowhere. He goes, you got to transfer your weight. So he, he had me, like, mimic boxing him and getting my weight through, and then we did the toss thing barehanded, and then I got the bat, and I, I can't remember the exact results. I just remember that, you know, my, I, was, I, I was hitting 300 that whole year and went into a little slump at the end of the season, but uh, he had me locked in for a good five months. Yeah, not 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 a surprise hearing that. Hey, before we get on out of here, I, w- I want to segue to something that's been you know heavy on my mind, and, and knowing you, I'm sure it's heavy on your mind. And that is really going back not only to last summer, but you know, you go way back to when you played, and there were work stoppages, and and the and the mistrust, the distrust between the 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 owners and the players association it reared its head again unfortunately last summer during you know this worldwide pandemic it was such a bad look we're seeing it again as we prepare for spring training uh and looming over the game uh is the is the CBA uh ending on on December 1st and to me more than anything it just speaks to almost how myopic the vision is of both parties and not understanding where we are um, as a world, where baseball is in in the pecking order and the importance of continuing to grow the game and and fighting over various issues. Um, It just doesn't play well. What's your your overall take on this? Well, I mean, you know, you got to be careful what your take is as a broadcaster now because you know you work for owners you were a player you're still friends with players you're friends with owners owners are signing your paychecks so you know my take on this is that i try to stay in my lane down the middle as a broadcaster but like a general take drew would be that hey this has been going on forever players and owners don't like each other 
And I think it's going to go on forever. Long after you and I are gone from this world, I don't see this ever changing. Because from a player's standpoint, owners screw us and they don't pay us enough money and we're pieces of meat. From an owner's standpoint, we overpay these guys, they don't produce, and blah, blah, blah. It's never – I don't think it's ever going to change just because of the way the system is set up. I mean, ideally, I would love for them to all just get together and just start singing kumbaya and hold hands around the campfire and figure things out. But it's never been that way. The history of baseball, going back to the 1900s, the early 1900s, it's just owners don't like players. Players don't like owners. I mean, from when you start talking about money, it gets weird, and it's always been that way. And I, I maybe this is a very pessimistic outlook. I think it's always going to be that way. Yeah, well, I, I, I do hope it, it changes because, as we all know, the world evolves and, and things never stay exactly the same. And you cannot take for granted as a game. And I'm not placing blame on either side. I'm saying as a game, you do have to be mindful collectively uh, of continuing to grow the game and understand that, um, you know, especially in, in the economic climate that we are, are currently in, that um, there are a lot of people that, that need sport as a distraction and will get frustrated and find other places to, you know, to spend their dollars and utilize their time. So we'll, we'll leave it at that. Sure. Your example that you're living right now is, 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 is perfect example that you pay Nolan Arenado that much money and you're an owner and you're saying, now he doesn't want to play here. And if you're Nolan Arenado, you're like, you paid me this much money, but you didn't give me any help. I don't want to play here. I mean, that in a nutshell is what I don't think is ever going to change. And I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. And and you may be right. Listen, you have a, you have a perspective I don't have because you played, you were on that side and and obviously you're not in ownership, but you're probably, uh, you know, closer to the management side, if you will, doing what we all do. Um, so yeah, I, I I just hope that the common ground is is found because we we love this game so much and it, and it is such a you know wonderful game and and I I hate when it's when it's hurt and I hate when there's negativity uh, out there. I do understand that whenever there's a lot of dollars involved, that is something that that is always going to be you know contentious and and it does happen in other sports, but it seems to be at a grander scale when it comes to baseball. On the field, and you're, you know, at some point you're going to be uh, calling this guy's games again. If you said, "Hey, you can watch, you know, fifty at bats of one guy um, on a loop," who would you watch right now in the game? And I may pick Juan Soto above everybody else because his knowledge of the strike zone and his ability to put the fat part of the bat on the ball where it's pitched is so damn unique fp uh, i'll let you pick up the uh, the paragraph from there oh my gosh yeah, i mean we don't have enough time I-, I love freddie freeman i think he's one of the best hitters i've ever seen we get to see him 19 times a year obviously the reigning mvp in the national league um i love watching him hit he torments he torments the assistant national, tortures him. I mean, this guy just kills the Nats no matter who's pitching. He hits A-listers. He hits B-listers. It doesn't matter. He hits with guys on. He hits with nobody on. Probably my favorite hitter to watch over the years, except for the guy you're talking about. I mean, and he's coming on strong as Juan Soto. Um, it's just his knowledge of the strike zone. The way he carries himself, he, it, he reminds me of Moises Alou, the way he carries himself. He's always just so quiet and confident. 
and he's got a very booming, deep voice for a 21-year-old or 22, whatever he is now. Um, and he just – the way he commands – the presence alone. He, he leads by example with his presence. Um, and then the knowledge of the strike zone, he can hit every pitch in any count, which is so hard for a hitter. You can throw him 3-1 changeup, he crushes it. A 2-0 curveball, he crushes it. Throw him 98 above the letters, he crushes it. So he can hit, he can hit Jacob deGrom. He can hit A-listers, B-listers, every pitch in every count. Um, and it doesn't matter. He spreads out and chokes up with two strikes. He puts the, he doesn't just flip the ball and play with two strikes. He just gets down and dirty in his stance so he can see the baseball, and he still does damage. He has power to all fields with two strikes. We had some crazy stat in 2019 where 12 of his home runs were with two strikes, and that wasn't even at the end of the year, so I don't even know what he ended up with in 2019 as far as home runs with two strikes. Um, so he doesn't give anything away other than he'll just battle you, he'll fight you. Um, he runs the bases aggressively but intelligently. He plays defense aggressively but intelligently. He keeps a double play in order. Um, he, he was top three finalist in gold glove in left field in 2019, and he just started playing left field when he got to the big leagues. He had never played it before. So he's going to be the right fielder this year, um, and he's got a decent arm. Every, everything about the kid, Drew, his family, um, the way he carries himself, uh, the success he's had will not phase him a bit. This guy's so well-grounded. Um, he, he's, he's the type of kid, Drew, getting back to what we just talked about. If I'm in ownership and it's not my money, it's not my job, I, that's a guy I would lock up forever, like forever right now if I could. Yeah, the, he, he's going to be one of the faces, if he's not already, uh, not, not just clearly the Nationals, but um, uh, the game of baseball. He is a great one, and, and in hearing stories that you've told me about him off the air, uh, you know, just a, a super bright, super charismatic young guy. I mean, this guy was arrived as a teenager. So that that helps in growing the game of baseball. And I love, uh, you know, hearing those stories as well. We have a super young kid. We have a bunch of them, but we have a super young kid in Trevor Story, as you know, is, you know, uber talented and, and has and is made of, of all the right stuff. And it's, it's fun for us to be able to tell those stories and, and take people behind the curtain a little bit uh, on our broadcast when you're talking about the stories and the, and the Sotos of the world. FP, man, you and I can, can chat forever. Um, you, you know, listen, as great a broadcaster as you are and, and as nice a big league career as you had, um, you will forever be known as the guy that, that steered Brady wrong and, and sent him to football as opposed to baseball. That's it, man. <laughs> hey, he owes me a little something-something for the effort, don't you think? Maybe like I, a car or a house? And something tells me he can afford to buy you, you know, a, a nice FP-150, if you will, uh, and, not, uh, and not really, you know, be hurting in the bank account area. Oh man, Drew, thanks for having me on. I, every time a Rockies game is on MLB Network, I watch it. You guys do such a fantastic job out there. Uh, I'm just sad that we don't get to see you more, but, uh, I hope our paths cross this year and things get back to normal. A absolutely, man. You're the best. I appreciate the time, man. Stay well and, uh, we'll talk soon, brother. All right. Take care, Drew. Big thanks to FP Santangelo. Always fun to visit with. And I'm going to do that periodically uh, for all of you on the podcast, kind of introduce this region um, to, uh, you know, people you may be less familiar with, but are, are entertaining, good baseball people, good sports people. Obviously, we don't limit this podcast just to baseball, though we uh, skew in that direction, certainly this time of year. 
Always fun to be with you. We're going to do it again next week. Spring training will have officially begun when we gather next week on the uh, Drew Goodman podcast. Hey, stay well, stay safe, and we'll uh, talk to you again in a few days. Take care and spread the word. Thanks. You've been listening to the Drew Goodman podcast. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts. Drew wants to hear your question of the week. Tweet it at Drew Goodman or visit the Drew Goodman podcast.com.